This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Good morning and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. On America's Roundtable today, we are delighted to air part two of our conversation with Bernie Marcus, co-founder of the Home Depot. Bernie launched Home Depot at the age of 49, after being fired for the first time, being fired enabled him to start the company he had envisioned long ago to encourage people to do it yourself. Bernie retired as chairman of Home Depot in 2002. Bernie is the chairman of the Marcus Foundation, which has gifted more than $2 billion for medical research and facilities, military veterans, Israel, autism, and community enhancement. Bernie is an author of an inspiring must-read book titled Kick Up Some Dust, Lessons on Thinking Big, Giving Back, and Doing It Yourself. Bernie is 93 years old and has been married to his wife, Billy, for almost 50 years. Bernie is a strong supporter of capitalism, free enterprise system, democracy, and America. And without further ado, we extend our warm welcome to Bernie Marcus. Good morning and welcome, Bernie. Welcome to America's Roundtable, Bernie. Good morning, Natasha and Joe. Good to be with you this morning. Bernie, one of the things that was so remarkable, Natasha and I have been very much involved in strengthening America's ties with Israel. And in your book, you communicate about how when you went to Israel, you learned about the Israeli Defense Forces and how they respond to veterans, which is so different from how we do uh, through the Veterans Administration. Maybe there would be some lessons that we can learn as a nation from Israel, uh, the Jewish state. Well... When somebody gets hurt in Israel, now you got to remember, every child serves in the military. So the whole country is really interested. And somebody gets wounded. When they get wounded, there are, somebody is appointed, an officer is appointed to their case. That officer stays with them. And they get them into the best hospitals, either in Israel or anywhere else and make sure they're taken care of and, and that the parents are involved. So the parents are always involved. So it's a, it's a family affair. Uh, here in the States, we have the VA, which does the best job that they can, but it's beyond them. It's really beyond them. And we don't have enough facilities. Some people have to travel five hours to get to a VA hospital. If they have post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury, imagine they spend five hours and then we get there, they spend one hour with a psychologist or a psychiatrist, one hour, and they end up giving you a prescription usually for opioids. It's not the way to treat. This is why government sucks. Mm. When government does anything and it doesn't do a good job. Right. And the VA is a perfect example we spend billions of dollars in the VA. Uh, they handle 
well. I would say 25% of the ailments. If somebody has a heart condition or diabetes or something like that, they can handle it. But when you give them something, Natasha, that's really serious, like traumatic brain injury, and try to prevent them from committing suicide, this suicide has been going on for 30 years. So nobody has made an indent in it. Nobody has stopped it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you're a failure. You know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and people keep committing suicide, what good did you do? You didn't do any good. Right. So what we want to do is eventually have enough facilities around the country or all around the country where we could take care of all these people. Right now, you have to wait 90 days to get into a facility. Mm. Unbelievable. And you're on the verge of committing suicide. It's terrible. You touched on inefficiency of the government. Uh, The government also, you provide actually additional funding through philanthropy, and that all comes from the free market. And in your book, Kick Up Some Dust, you brought up the miracle of the free market. And you say, and I quote, the companies I helped run and build have employed hundreds of thousands of people, paid billions in wages, launched and supported dozens of other companies, and contributed hundreds of billions to the U.S. gross domestic product. Home Depot created thousands of millionaires many of whom never went to college. The products and services we sold helped millions of Americans by lowering hardware prices and made home building affordable across the country. That is the miracle of the free market. We have to add the philanthropy as well in this as a miracle of the free market. Bernie, the history of capitalism and communism presents us with a choice, a clear choice of freedom and equal opportunities under free markets and capitalism versus subjugation, fear, and poverty under communism. The rule of law, where all the equal under the law, versus the rule of men, where some are above the law. Uh, Bernie, what is your message for the new generation of Americans that are taking their freedom for granted? Well, number one, learn history. Mm. And if you don't learn history, which amazingly, they've taken out of many universities. Uh, The universities today are teaching socialism because you have teachers and professors who couldn't make it in the real world. The only world they can make it in is the world that they have, where they're given a job for life, whether they're good or bad, they get tenure, and they stay there for lives until they die. And they're not worth a crap. And they teach these kids that socialism is the right way to go because that's what their life is like. They live off the fat of the land. And remember, capitalism created most of these universities. That's right. You look at every university, what do you see? You see it named after somebody. That somebody gave millions of dollars to create a place where the teachers and the professors rally against the very thing that created them. It's kind of sad. But young people, unfortunately, are buying it. As I said, 35% believe in socialism. Well, this creates a great opportunity for people who are entrepreneurial. Certainly, the Hispanics uh, who came into this country, uh, who I call the Jews of the future, 
uh, are opening up businesses, creating their own businesses, and they're growing their businesses. And one day they too will have a Home Depot. They don't buy that crap. You know why? Because they didn't go to universities. <laughs> they didn't go to the colleges. They can't be influenced by these idiots that are teaching the courses. They're influenced by economics, by what's right and what's wrong. So the small business owners are generally, if you look at the United States today, 70% of all jobs created in the United States are from small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so we were, Home Depot was a small business. Right. And that's why I started something called Job Creators Network to represent these people, to give them a voice in Congress where they don't have a voice. You know, people like uh, GE, you know, all the internet companies spend millions of dollars with lobbyists trying to influence uh, senators and members of the House. There's nobody influencing him for the guy who runs a pizza parlor. That's mm -hmm. right. And he's important. That pizza parlor is an important part of our, our, our livelihoods. Uh, you know, you... You pick on the Sunday, you say, let's send out for a pizza. Well, it doesn't happen overnight. That's a small business. He generally, if he belongs to a chain, small businessmen own their own business within the chain, and they run it like that. And so we try to help them with Job Creators Network. And I can tell you that what's happening in America today is not, it's not healthy. I see America turning against, against capitalism and towards socialism. You see it everywhere. Uh, you have Biden's new budget where he wants to raise taxes. Mm. Well, we did a survey of small businesses. Remember, I said 70% are owned by small businesses, right? 70% of the jobs, 60% said that if he raises taxes, and puts in the kind of restraints with new regulations, 60% will go out of business. Mm. Well, what happens to us? What happens to America? Right. You know, it's great for the big businesses. It's, it's, it's not good for the small businesses. So we see America turning away from all the things that these people are flooding across the borders. You, you, they're running away from socialism. Right. All of them. Yeah. They're coming here. And what are they finding? That this country, this wonderful country, where, where people could have the American dream, where the American dream is slowly but surely fading in the sunlight. And it's a shame. I've watched it happen over the 93 years. I can't believe what, what's happened in this country in the last 10 years. In 10 years, this has changed dramatically. And certainly in the last two years, my God, under Trump, and I'm not pushing Trump, I'm just saying under Trump, four years, he had the economy in such a great shape. Everybody was rising. The wages were going up. Businesses were opening. The economy was phenomenal. Inflation was 1.2%. And today we're learning to live with six and seven percent. And it's sheer stupidity 
And I don't know, the people in Congress probably never took history lessons, never looked back to see what America was and what it could be. So they're pushing socialism. And what they're trying to teach kids in school is, you know, hate yourself if you're white. Mm-hmm. You've got to hate yourself as a young child. If you're Caucasian, you have to despise who you are. Why? I've got a seven-year-old kid. Got to despise himself. Are you kidding me? This is not the America I remember. And it's not the American. I think the, I hope that America wakes up one day mm-hmm. and, and throws these fools out of office because they are fools. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate what you've done through your book, and it's titled is Kick Up Some Dust, which really challenges us and motivates us to really, as you've mentioned, look at our history, appreciate the free market system, the rule of law that created so many jobs and made America that that lighthouse, that city on the hill. And also, as we talk about some of the unique things that America has done through its history, in just a few weeks' time, we're going to be celebrating Israel's 75th anniversary. Uh, And America was the first country that recognized Israel as a sovereign, independent state on May 14, 1948. And uh, Bernie, through the International Leaders Summit, uh, we have addressed the importance of strengthening America's ties with Israel and addressing anti-Semitism. And Natasha and I, in 2015, actually launched the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, where we took leaders from business, government, and the educational arena to visit Israel to see and experience for themselves. Because as you noticed, we were seeing uh, sort of a waning support for Israel uh, because of the rise of anti-Semitism, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, and sort of the Israel bashing that we were beginning to see. Now, there was a study that was done a few years ago by the University of Maryland, which found that more Democrat registered voters support the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, which targets Israel, than those who oppose it. 33% of Democratic voters support BDS, while only 10% oppose it. 9% of registered Republican voters also support BDS. And we have seen this issue impacting the youth. And Bernie, from your perspective, what can Americans do in countering the rise of anti-Semitism, the dangerous BDS movement, and why is educating our children on our shared principles and values so important for America's future and our important relationship with Israel? Well, I could give you a short answer. We don't have the time to really give you the long answer. But I grew up in the 50s, the 40s and 50s, and anti-Semitism was pretty strong. A Jew could not get a job in any big manufacturing company. They couldn't work for GE or General Motors. They couldn't go to big law firms or big medical practices. So what they did was start their own. And you found that companies came up the, up the ladder and with the, the establishment of the state of Israel, that changed the way America thought about Israel because up to that time, they thought that Jews don't fight. Jews don't have the courage. And then we, when they saw this small state with millions of people arrayed around it, trying to destroy it, 
and the Israelis won, there was a newfound understanding that Jews were pretty good and that let's take advantage of them. So that happened and it changed. 10 years ago, during the Obama administration, it began all over again. The same thing that I saw in the 1940s came back to America. This divisiveness mm -hmm. between blacks and whites. We had started to see that change dramatically. I saw it in my lifetime. I saw Jim Crow. I saw all these things. And I saw it starting to fall by the wayside. And Americans were accepting each other for who you are, not the color of your skin. And it started under Obama. It's continued under Biden. And it's divisive. And with that came anti-Semitism. What do you do? You got to blame somebody for your plight. You're a victim. Who do you blame? You blame the Jews. That's the way it's been in history. And so anti-Semitism mm -hmm. has built up again. And the truth is that Israel is only the only place in the Middle East that's a democracy. Now, they may be screwed up with their politics the way we are in many cases. But you know what? They still are a forerunner. People are elected every year in a, in a democratic way. And, you know, if you talk at LBGD and everything else, uh, it's one of the countries that leads in this area. They're very accepting of it in Israel. A hell of a lot more than many states here in the United States. So there's no logic for anti-Semitism, but it's out there. Mm. And I think that it's not good for this country. If you think about how many people in philanthropy are Jewish, the Jews donate 21% of philanthropy, representing only 2% of the population. Mm. Wow. And if you look at what Jews have contributed to science, what they medicine, literature, it's all Jews over this period of time. So, you know, why are you cutting off your nose and spiting your face? But you got to lash out. You're a victim. You got to find somebody to blame. Instead of blaming yourself, which is who you should be blaming, you're out there, you know, talking about the other guy that takes it from you. Not the fact that you can't make it on your own. So I hope we change. Yes. Bernie, you talk about philanthropy and how much Jews disproportionately have contributed to giving. And you, Bernie, have generously supported numerous different institutions and programs, including Grady Hospital in Atlanta, which was near financial ruin with 60 million in debt helping veterans through SHARE Military Initiative, which is Shaping Hope and Recovery Excellence Military Initiative, then Sports Leadership and Management Academy, launched by the Cuban-American rapper Armando Perez, mostly known by name Pitbull. You also infused CDC with much-needed funding, which secured its survival and sustainability among many other causes. And in all these areas of healthcare, veteran care, and education, you saw the need that was not met. 
Uh, Bernie, many times you have been complementing the role of a taxpayer in providing for the needs of the people which should have been funded by the government and paid by taxpayers. You are doing it more effectively and more efficiently than governments do. Uh, Bernie, what is your message to taxpayers, legislators and other potential donors in sustaining these institutions and programs? Well, first of all, there are many in the Congress who want to take away the philanthropy from a lot of people. They want to control the money. They look at my money and they say, it's not his, it's actually ours. And we should be able to control it. Well, they'll control it by pissing it away. Excuse what I say, because that's exactly what they do. They don't do anything efficiently. They don't do anything that really assumes that comes out with real positive results. It's up to philanthropists to continue doing that. So I would say hands off. A lot of people ask me a question. Why are you reluctant to give up your money and pay more taxes instead of philanthropy, give it to the government? Well, you think I trust those people? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't trust them. Not with $2. Forget about millions of dollars. I spend it more efficiently and get more things done. If you think some of the things that we've been involved with, I'll give you an example. We started something with Johns Hopkins, a simple blood test, mm. which is now through the FDA. It's going through the FDA. This blood test will discover people who have first and second stage pancreatic cancer, ovarian cancer, cancers that you can't detect until it's fourth stage. This is a simple blood test. Could the government have done that? No. Hell no. They couldn't have done it. They don't have the ability to do it because they they do it always with, is this going to create votes for me? We did it for the reason that we want to save lives. So the things that we do, philanthropists, uh, the government could never do. And don't the American people be stupid enough to buy the nonsense that comes out of Congress where they, they say, Elizabeth Warren, uh, these people shouldn't have that kind of money. Well, hell, I'd rather have that money in my hands mm. than have it in Elizabeth Warren's hands. Right. Exactly, <laughs> any day, any day of the week. We actually would like to encourage our listeners to seek out the book, Kick Up Some Dust, Lessons on Thinking Big, Giving Back, and Doing It Yourself. You can seek that out by going to your search engine, uh, checking it out on Amazon.com, or visiting your favorite local bookstore. And Bernie, while Natasha and I were reading through this book, we were really inspired, and uh, it was so intriguing to hear about the Georgia Aquarium that came about, and how you and your team did the impossible by moving some of these mammals from vast distances to America. And in fact, uh, we look forward to visiting the Georgia Aquarium <laughs> in the days to come. So could you share us a little bit about the Georgia Aquarium and why every American family should consider visiting this beautiful, inspiring place that you built? Well, I would tell you that today it is listed as one place that you must visit. Mm. And it's the largest aquarium in the world, 
has fish and mammals in it that very few have. We have whale sharks that are 30 feet long, now 30 feet the size of a school bus. And people generally would never see this in a lifetime, most people. Uh, we have every species you could think of. It's a trip, actually a trip. It's an all-day trip. Typically, aquariums, people go through them in one hour or two hours. If you come to the Georgia Aquarium, be prepared to spend six, seven hours. It's a full day, and we have the we have facilities for food to keep you there, and it's a great trip for a very small amount of money that we charge because we want to keep it open so that children have a chance to see it and families feel comfortable. And by the way, I can tell you we're headed to one of the best years we've ever had right now. Over 3 million people will be visiting the aquarium this year. It's a great experience. And I did it because I wanted to do something for the state of Georgia. That's where we started. When we got there, we were poor. We had nothing. And now we ended up with something really well. And my wife and I, Billy and I, wanted to do something. People came to us with a new symphony hall or a new hospital or something else. And I said, I would like to do something that's different. I'd like to bring some joy to people. Well, if you go there on a typical day, you'll see thousands of people, all colors, all sizes, all shapes, having the best time in their lives and coming back over and over again. So no matter where you are, you want to go to the Georgia Aquarium at one point. It's a must-do oh. and a must-see. Oh, we look forward to visiting the Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta. And you did it actually all by your seed funding. You said we don't want to incur any debt at the beginning because it's going to be a problem to sustain it. So you did it actually by also leveraging your partnership with Coca-Cola that provided the land and other people that you actually, you always are synergizer and, and team builder and bringing other people to, to, to join you in partnership. Well, in most places, when they open up, the funder usually gives a certain amount and then they mortgage off the rest of it. They buy bonds or whatever that have to be paid back. And I didn't want that. I want them to be a business. Right. It's run like a business. They have a, a financial committee. They run, they have everything there that a company has and they run it like a business. Great management, terrific management that knows how to run a business, has a budgets, has a profit loss every month that we look at very carefully. And we try to keep it ahead of board so we never have to borrow money. So yes, this has been a fun thing for me, by the way. This is where you go for joy and happiness. <laughs> exactly. You know, the Grady Hospital may save your life, it's not going to give you joy and happiness. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on this note, we truly appreciate your time, Bernie. We could certainly go on for another half an hour or an hour, an because hour. after reading your book and having this opportunity to uh, have this conversation is more than inspiring. And uh, we truly would like to encourage our, our listeners to seek out that book, kick up some dust, and perhaps we can continue our conversation in the days to come. And uh, we're delighted to host Bernie Marcus, co-founder of The Home Depot. Bernie retired as chairman in 2002. 
And he had been fired for the first time at the age of 49 and enabled that him to start the company. He had envisioned to encourage people to do it yourself. And Bernie is 93 years old and has been married to his wife, Billy, for almost 50 years. We thank you and Billy for your leadership and for all that you've done uh, for this great nation of America and your continued efforts in challenging us and motivating us to do better. Thank you so much, Bernie. And if you have any final thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, I just want to thank you for allowing me to come on the program today, number one. And I'd like to thank America, the United States of America, for being the country that allowed somebody like me to be as successful as I have become. God bless America, and God bless all the people in America. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. God bless. God bless. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com.